0: Help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com.
1: Welcome back to The Free Lunch today with Colin Andrews and Blair Howell. Blair, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Colin. Well, I'm glad you're here. Blair, last week, Steve and I got into this discussion of planning versus outcome. And I know today you and I are going to get into a discussion about the difference between actually executing a plan and doing planning. So that's going to be kind of fun. But before we do that, I wanted to introduce you to our listeners, all 20 of them or so. No, I'm just joking. Hopefully there's many more than that. But it's actually funny, Blair, I was on the analytics last night looking at, well, where do our listeners come from? And actually there's like 11 different countries right now where people are downloading our podcast. So that's kind of cool.
2: Yeah. Hey, we're a global phenomena. <laughs> yeah,
1: not a global pandemic, but that's a global Right. right?
2: <laughs> the good kind.
1: Like a teen pop star. Yep. Right. So Blair, tell us a little bit about yourself now, because you and I have been friends for almost 25 years. I did the math the other day. Yes. Yeah. It has been a while. So tell us about... Who you are, where are you from, and your background?
2: Well, as some of your listeners might know, I am an advisor on the CM Group. Our team? Our team. My background is I'm a native Calgarian. Born and raised, one of the few. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, like, what are there, like four of you? There's more as more people move back home, but I remember kind of after university, uh, I did go to UFC. A lot of friends moved away. New friends came from Saskatchewan, it seemed like for the most part, but from all over the country as a city grew. But yeah, both me and my wife are native Calgarians. You're like in a private little club then. We are. And as you get older, we get to talk about, I remember when <laughs> the city's too big. I've never heard of this community. <laughs> That's funny. So you went to
1: UFC. What did you take at UFC?
2: I got a degree in political science with a minor in economics. The minor has come in more important. Uh, no? Yeah, I guess to some extent, it's a good base to have for this. I kind of wandered into a financial industry. I actually was in political science to go into law, but as I get closer to graduating, I think the romanticism of being a lawyer, being in the courtroom and that, turned into what it really involved, not to put down any lawyers, but- wasn't for you. wasn't for me. Yeah. I went in a different direction. I'm glad I did. You got into the financial industry and you've been here for how long? Probably uh, around 20 years, I think, be a little bit less. That's a few cycles. It has been a few cycles. Started kind of at the bottom with a competitor on the personal banking side, worked our way up, private banking, made a move over to the advisory side and enjoying it ever since.
1: And what about your designations that you've been
2: working on over the years? As you know, I'm, I have both the CFP, the Certified Financial Planning Designation, and CMI. CIM. CIM. I always have to check that, which are really not just to have a designation, which are very valuable in our world. Planning designation was something I got first. It was a decision, you know, a lot of colleagues of mine actually, when we were private banking, there was kind of a push to, as you move ahead, looking at the CFA. So the CFA chartered financial analyst. That's correct. Yeah. And then the certified financial planning designation. And I think I found Dealing with people day to day is really the idea of, I found, especially on personal side, I think people relied too much on the investments itself, whether their investment advisor or putting money in and why isn't this money getting me to where they're going, where really the foundation was missing in terms of being more efficient with their money.
1: I like how you frame that because I know when I talk about financial planning to prospects or clients, we often talk about financial planning as being the foundation of building a house. Yeah. You'd never build a house without first doing the foundation.
2: Yeah. It's something that, yeah, most people, here's the money I have, make me rich. And I think a lot of people will become disappointed in that. Some may get lucky, but imagine sitting down and going through and setting up goals, activities to get to those goals, measuring those goals. Mm -hmm. Sounds familiar, anybody who's gone through business or anything in life. I mean, that's really the key is those little efficiencies that maybe I need to put a little bit more money. Maybe I don't need to take as much risk. Maybe I didn't need to pull from my RSP for this emergency. These are all things that planning brings out and, and kind of builds a blueprint or a roadmap. Roadmap, <laughs> yeah.
1: That's good because as I mentioned, and Steve and I were talking about having a plan versus focusing solely on the outcome. And the way we talked about it was like every team in the NHL right now wants to win the Stanley Cup. But nobody says, well, we're just going to win the Stanley Cup this year. They've all got to have a plan to get there.
2: Yeah. And the difference between a plan and planning seems to be in anybody's sports or any analogy. It's this team just won the Stanley Cup. Okay. We need to build our team exactly like that. Two years later, it's another team with a different style and every, well, we need to build a team just like that now. And it's maybe... Kind of more on the planning side. I think there's that great quote we've talked about. it. It's the plan is useless, but planning is essential. It's from uh, General Eisenhower. What does he know? Yeah, what does he know? (laughs) Well, it's something that we always, always take. It took me a while. I remember when I first started in planning, people had said that and then you kind of look into it. And essentially all he did is it was an old army quote. And it came from when the US entered the war in World War II, they were using maps and plans strategies that came from World War I and were ineffective. The plan was there, and so they had to change and adapt and replan. And I recently watched that documentary about the Vietnam War with Ken Burns, and they talked about the U.S. They used the strategies from World War II and the Korea War in the Vietnam War. It didn't work very well. No, it took them a long time <laughs> to adjust. So imagine being 30 years old and single, and you come up with a plan. Here it is, and then... You know, six years later, you're married with a family and it's just like, would that same plan, do you want to use that? Probably not. I imagine everything would have changed for you in in that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the idea of having measurable goals and having activities and the ability to change that plan. Right. Now, before we get there, maybe also tell us how you joined our group. When I first moved to the advisory side, it was because of my friendship with Colin Andrews and the team that maybe want to come over. Sorry about that, Blair. Yeah, (laughs) I've forgiven you for the most part. I was kind of hesitant. I actually liked really dealing with people and helping people out. And I think a lot of advisors who I'd met were stockbrokers. And I wasn't too sure I wanted to go down that alley. And then your team, when I first came over at at our old place of work. Which shall remain unnamed. Which will remain unnamed. You guys, I think we're way ahead of the curve and still are in terms of doing planning ahead of time and, and realizing that it's not just a one step. Here you go. Here's your plan. Let's start investing. It's planning is a lifelong process. And it appealed to me that really wanting to help. What's your purpose? Your purpose is to help people kind of reach their goals, whether retirement, putting kids through school or buying that vacation, like that great feeling you have when somebody hits one of those milestones with your help. And the CM group had it. I was a part of the CM group at that time, but when you major change. And it was time for me to make a change. It was easy. Not only the philosophy, but the review process was perfect. Going in, setting up goals, but now those goals are measurable. Meeting with clients, we're going over, we're marking where they are. I mean, what's better than that? Knowing where you stand and does this plan need to change? Are we constantly planning, having these conversations and building these great relationships? Much different than just dotted
1: lines. It brings up a good point, Blair. We often talk about or use this tagline, what's important to you that requires planning, money, and time. In other words, what's important to our clients or the listeners that requires planning to achieve something that they want to achieve, their money to achieve it, and their time. And then we try to track it. So how does that relate to financial planning in your eyes?
2: I think we mentioned earlier, it's the foundation of of building it. When it's time to, let's say, I always like our analogy towards personal health in terms of, you know, when it's time to, I need to lose some weight. I need to get in better shape. I need to be healthier. Those who just like, well, I'm going to start lifting weights. Well, it's not really a plan. Step one, you're going to be probably disappointed. Yeah, You know, you might kind of work your way in, but if you have a plan, talk to a nutritionist, set up a regimen for myself, something that I can handle that'll get me to my goals, realistic goals. And I measure it. I'm weighing myself. I'm going through. You're more likely to hit those longer term goals than just. Than just stating them? Yeah, just stating them. There's another great quote. Uh, I know a lot of my clients love me with my little quotes, but it's, I can't do a goal, but I can do an activity and that activity will get me to my goal. I like that. I like that. So essentially you need to have some sort of plan. I think the other quote is, a goal without a plan is just a wish.
1: Right, right. That's a good one too. Now, you talk about also how planning is personal and that's why it's so important. I think there was another common saying that you mentioned when we were talking earlier is, what should an advisor say to someone when asked a planning question is? It depends.
2: So tell me about that. What do you mean by that? In our industry, there's a lot of rules of thumb. Rules of thumb are pretty much that. I don't know anything about you. I haven't spent the time to really dig into what matters to you, but for the most part, we'll average it out and you need a million dollars to retire or you should be good in investing in these five stocks. Kind of not really in the planning process. Everybody's a little bit different. Everybody has different incomes. Everybody has different expenses. Everybody has different goals. Everybody has different things that make them happy. We talked earlier, discretionary versus non-discretionary income. For some people, non-discretionary might include something that somebody else might include as discretionary. Golf is a good one. I will not give up my golf. Not me personally, but we know people who will. This is an absolute must for my expenses. I'm willing to give up other things. Everybody's plan, if we really dig down, if you really want to kind of have a good relationship, you have to find out what makes people happy, what makes them tick, what they're saving for. And then from there, you can help plan out how to kind of make their dreams come true. (laughs) That's awesome. Which areas
1: are most impacted by doing proper financial planning? Well, we talk about
2: things like income and cash flow. Income is really managing income. Kind of understand how much money you'll need for things like tax payments and monthly expenditures and savings, kind of the budget for the most part, you know, the the word people don't necessarily love, but is extremely important. What money's coming in, what money's going out, that's really going to determine you know, a lot of what you're putting away for savings, how much tax you're paying, what's fixed, what's variable. If something happens in terms of emergencies, where is that money going to come from? Cash flow is sometimes mixed in with income, but we really look at it as kind of a growth in income naturally leads to growth in the overall cash flow. It's kind of your spending patterns and where you can move that cash flow from one department to the other.
1: Like your example earlier, that single 30-year-old male or female that ends up six years later married with two kids, I imagine even if their income
2: didn't change that much, their cash flow certainly has. That's a great example. One that we both can relate to Yeah. <laughs> in terms of, oh, why didn't I have more money when I was single? Because I didn't have... To other mouths to feed and yeah. vacations and all these fun things. But no, that's a perfect example of how cash flow can change. And then we look at things like family security or even just security if you're not family, things like wills, power of attorneys, personal directives, insurance, really kind of making sure that proper beneficiaries are set up. What would happen? We used to call it the lifeboat drill. What would happen if? Take us through a lifeboat drill. What does that mean? Well, in. A lot of our reviews with clients, our wealth management reviews, you know, we'll sit down and we'll we'll simply ask, well, what would happen if tomorrow you lost your job or maybe your spouse got sick or a variety of other things that will affect your income, your cash flow? What would that look like? Where would you draw from? And then we go into another important part of financial planning is emergencies. What constitutes an emergency? Is it something that we should be saving for separately? Should we be keeping part of the portfolio just for that. We talk about things like lines of credit or insurance. How do these affect you? And make sure it's the right fit for you. And again, it depends on the individual and what that's going to look like because nobody can predict the future, but you can make sure that you're prepared for sudden changes. Nobody prepared for themselves for COVID-19. Whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: Yeah, it actually reminds me of that Saturday Night Live skit that we've looked at a few times over the years, related back to these times, back in January, <laughs> discussing, well, with the upcoming global pandemic uh, yeah. about to <laughs> hit in March, we should move to cash. Exactly. You know? Yeah.
2: And there's no doubt that some people out there are just like, well, we kind of had, a f- that's why we've been in cash for two years. It's mm-hmm. so like, yeah, that's not the reason. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, how does that relate then to investments? Because I think that was another point of planning.
2: A well-diversified portfolio that's been personalized for you will reflect all of these goals. So short-term, mid-term, long-term goals. Some of it long-term, obviously retirement's the obvious one. Kind of a mid-length goal might be something like educational savings for kids. Retirement's 20 years away, but I got to put two kids to university in six years. And then shorter-term goals might just be to kind of fund a new car. I know a roof. And then Part of that short term can be part of an emergency as well as if something happened tomorrow, will my portfolio be able to help me out for a short period of time? And that kind of goes back to the lifeboat drill. So a a portfolio really shouldn't be looked at as its only goal is this. And then in that kind of mental accounting, or this part of my portfolio is only, you should be able, if you're planning properly to have the portfolio that matches the plan and be able to fill that gap. And that's where obviously we come in being the nutritionist and the trainer and the overall (laughs) advisor of health. Yeah. Well,
1: it's interesting. I was listening to another podcast. It's a podcast called Rational Reminder. And it's a pretty well-known one in Canada. They're friends of ours. Cameron Passmore out in Ottawa has this podcast. And he was interviewing somebody the other day about financial planning. And they talked about, instead of saying retirement planning, what if you said something like, what would you do with your time if money wasn't a concern anymore? Because everybody gets focused on retirement planning as in I need enough money to retire. But his point was,
2: but then what do you do? And that's something we talk about a lot. Actually, that's fantastic. A lot of times with, especially with new clients or people come in and you talk about retirement planning. And I think we're on the same page as this, but we gave a retirement presentation not too long ago. And, and Well, before March. Before March, yeah. <laughs> Where we really talked about the personal side of retirement planning and the mental side of how are you viewing retirement planning? You know, for the most part, I can say quite confidently, we can help you out on the financial part to get you, tell you what you need to save, kind of run scenarios, have a portfolio. I mean, that part can be stressful, but we take that stress away. But one part that I think you really want to have a really good advisor. Part of the planning process is talking about what retirement looks like. Because I think a lot of us, including me, who's even a planner, look at retirement because it's so far away, even when it's getting closer, as this big vacation that's coming up. So yeah, when I retire, I'm going to travel, I'm going to golf every day. Well, in Canada, what?
1: Yeah, three months a year. Yeah, exactly.
2: (laughs) We're going to do all this stuff and I can afford it. But really what people struggle with the most is that mental change from working into having this free time, your purpose is gone. You know, I got up and I worked and I helped people and I did all this stuff. And And you see a lot of clients who, who struggle with, I think it's easier if you have the ability to semi-retire. I always joke about that. My dad retired every year for six years <laughs> and then he would get bored and he'd start going back to work. And it took him a while to adjust to what do you do with your free time and having an advisor kind of part of the plan. It's tough to put down on paper. It's not a a financial number, but kind of talking about, we can actually pay for what you want to do. You guys got to remember how much free time you're going to have. We've both met with clients who've been retired longer than they worked. Yeah, that's right. That's a lifetime.
1: Exactly right. Because the focus has to be on, well, as your example, like golf, well, How much golf can a person do in a day, week, month, year? There's got to be more because the planning part is just math.
2: And part of our job is to start pulling out from people. Well, you said you want to be able to go on two vacations a year. What are you going to do with in retirement with all that extra free time? Yeah, you got 50 more weeks in the year (laughs) to fill. Yeah, Yeah, and our job is just to advise or give advice, but you want to make people aware that this is coming up relate experiences you have with we have clients in all different life stages. So maybe helping them out in terms of what we've dealt with clients who've struggled with this and this is ways they've dealt with it or what's important to you. Well, that's a good bridge. I wanted
1: to talk about some of the common pitfalls to avoid in financial planning and modeling. And an article online talked about the five financial mistakes linked to financial planning. So they had suggested number one, was no tracking of non-recurring expenses. So these would be your wrench thrown in scenarios. Number two was investment without purpose. As you mentioned, just simply investing, but not really knowing what it's linked to. Number three was no idea of where they stand financially. This is sort of like a head in the sand mentality. And we've both been around people that have had their head in the sand over the years and they just sort of assume it'll all come to fruition magically at some retirement age. Number four was mixing term insurance and investments. And I'm not really going to get into this one. It was just on the list. And number five was not planning for retirement seriously. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Retirement
2: planning seriously. It's how we view retirement. It's something that we know is coming up, but yeah, the idea of probably goes more into behavioral finance or these biases that we have or things we don't want to. You know, it's it can even be mixed into no idea where we stand financially. A lot of it may be not even, well, I've never really had the right help or I kind of know. It's not wanting to know. Kind of deep down knowing that I'm going to struggle in retirement. I don't know if I can afford to, but no news is good news. Kind of where do I stand financially? It's I'm trying to think back. I actually read an article where there was a study done and one of the main reasons people don't do budgets is because they don't want to have to give up something in that budget. (laughs) They would rather go into debt and struggle head in the sand. Is it because they don't want to admit that expense for some reason? Yeah. Might be something that I don't want to change my life, even though I can't afford it. So it's called being a human. Decisions are tough. So not taking retirement seriously. Yeah. You know, I think it is that how you view it. I'll be fine. How much do I really need? But doesn't it take the stress out of life to kind of know that you're going to be okay or that you can make changes to get there? I think the majority of Canadians, people we deal with, our clients, some of them came in who there was probably a lot of stress and for good reason, but, a little bit of planning, a little bit of help, and suddenly can retire when you want. And this is might what it looked like. So kind of that having somebody help you out and knowing they're there for you and giving you the right advice.
1: I actually have a short story about that real quick. My mom's a lovely person. I'm not just saying that because she's my mom. She is. She called me one day and said, should I have more bonds in my portfolio? And I started thinking about it. Like My mom doesn't even really know what a bond is or how it works, So I was like, well, why is she asking me this question? And it dawned on me, it's just her way of asking, is she going to be okay? That she sees a lot of volatility out there and she wants to make sure she has enough money. Isn't that sort of what planning does?
2: That's exactly what it does.
1: So should I do a financial plan with my mom? I guess I should.
2: It probably wouldn't be a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and planning comes in all shapes and sizes. Everybody does, just considers it this big we've both been in meetings and we have planners within the CIBC team as well. And they do a fantastic job. But when they come in and they slap down that 210 page plan in front of people, it's daunting. It is. Even somebody like myself, you're just like, wow, yeah." did we book enough time? And it is that planning process. It's not just this big document that's going to gather dust. It's Okay, you know what? We've kind of digged down on things that are important to you. Let's set up something that a roadmap that we know we kind of hit those goals and take away that stress.
1: Well, that's interesting because Accenture put out an article in June of this year and it talked about some changes to planning and this shift to real-time scenario modeling techniques to create what-if hypothesis. So that is what you're talking about. That's a lifeboat drill, essentially. And Wealth Professional posted an article recently about real-time planning being the future. And it stated that this idea of this large printed plan has already gone away, actually. It's sort of a historical way of doing it, and that they believe the future will be in sort of a shared digital real-time experience uh, between a client and an advisor. So that's what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, I mean, essentially what we've been doing for years is now everybody's there's an app for that. But at the end of the day, you it's important to have that experience. Somebody to talk about bounce ideas, kind of ease the stress. And knowing that the information you're being told may not be really the information you need. So,
1: Right. Well, and I know that with things like global pandemics, and we talked, how do you fit that into a financial plan? I have no idea. But what would you recommend revisiting budgeting and things like that during a time like this?
2: Well, there's two schools of thought, I guess. I guess it's not two schools, it's both. If we've done our job and we've planned properly, we've always thought it may not be a global pandemic, but there's always a point where you could lose your job. And I think for clients in our neck of the woods, with the downturn of oil, it's become more and more top of mind that I could really lose my job. I could be. So the the pandemic is just another kind of that wrench in the plan. So if we've kind of planned ahead of time, Most of our clients should be in a situation where we can really help out, you know, stay the course. We knew that something like this could happen, but yeah, it's also important to kind of, is there something else in the budget we can kind of look at? And, you know, we've gone through and these were things that you kind of kept discretionary, but maybe you don't need dog grooming twice a month or maybe golf is important to you, but why not maybe one or two less tee times? And, Mm -hmm.
1: or maybe a public course instead of a private course or something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then not to kind of go too deep, but one thing we look at at planning is not only those discretionary, non-discretionary, but fixed versus variable expenses that we go through with clients. And variable is the easiest to terms of that discretionary of we're going to cut out coffees and we're going to get rid of all this stuff and it's going to affect the budget. But fixed expenses are, for the most part, are usually non-discretionary mortgages insurance.
1: I got to argue with you on this because Starbucks would be a
2: fixed cost in our household. Yeah. (laughs) We know we're going to spend $158 a month, but yeah, I mean, that is something you can kind of, you know what, I'm not willing to move that, but there's always something else you can kind of look at and fixed expenses. If there is an emergency, if something you saw a lot of banks giving kind of extensions when you're still owe the money maybe going in and refinancing the mortgage to make the payments.
1: I think what you're talking about is like banks were letting people skip mortgage payments during this crisis, right? Yep. And I had somebody call me and they were quite upset because the bank let them skip two or three months of mortgage payments and they couldn't understand why they would then just add that dollar amount back onto the end of the mortgage. Yes. They thought the bank was just going to let them not pay for three months.
2: And it's great that they have somebody like you to call to explain it. I can, a little bit on those stories, I remember years and years ago, working for two or three financial institutions earlier, client calling up and being told that they had all this equity in their house and they wanted to take it out. And you talk about, oh yeah, we can set up a mortgage, line of credit. No, no, that's my equity. It's my money. Yeah, that's my money. Just put it in my bank account. (laughs) Quit stealing my money. So yeah, somebody who could use a plan and more advice. But yeah, kind of going back to what we talked about, that fixed expense compared to variable. And that's something on the budgeting that seems pretty straightforward. But the variable costs and things that are easy to cut are the ones you go to where the fixed expenses might be bigger. But with a little bit of work and maybe some adjustments, they can make a big impact on your cash flow income. Might be making it up in a few years, but things always get better. They're never as great as they seem and they're never as bad as they seem. And there will be a time to maybe catch up and you have to make adjustments now.
1: Now, I have to remind everybody, these are our opinions because we have people that listen to this and they tell us we can't say things like that.
2: That things will get better? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Even though we may believe it, we have to preface this with these are our opinions. Yes. So Blair, let's wrap up here today with just tell us a little bit about what does it all mean? What did we learn today?
2: Planning is such an essential part of financial health. Kind of gives you peace of mind, reduces stress, helps with budgeting, adds some clarity for a lot of our clients. And at the end of the day, kind of what is a lot of our bread and butter is the investment side suddenly the advice we're giving on that becomes far more personal. We you know we're we're not just kind of throwing money into the market. It's well, we know who you are. We know what you want. And this is the investment that fits that. What's important to you that requires planning money and time? Right on.
1: So for fun, what are you doing these days? Reading any books, watching any shows,
2: going anywhere? Yes. What? <laughs> well I'm a big summer reader. Always have been. So Right now I'm reading the uh, Steve Jobs biography. I never read it when it came out. I picked it up. We have a few of those little libraries in our community. So my kids and I always go by and I'm big on the biography. So I'm, I'm reading that and I finished off the uh, Phil Knight, the founder of Nike's bio as well. And Bob Iger's. I read that one too. Yeah. I mean, they're all kind of give you perspective in terms of, I like them because they take a bit of myth out of business. And right now there's a lot of, maybe not correct information or miss, or this is how this guy made his money. And I remember Phil Knight being told by a, a few people, and I didn't really know anything about him or Nike outside of shoes or the history of it, but people were just like, yeah, he used to sell, built a company from nothing and he sold shoes out of the back of his truck. And is that true? Sort of. He had an accounting degree with honors from the University of Portland and then had his master's of business from Stanford. Oh, so he had a little bit of b- yeah, he business a, acumen. He had a, yeah, he had a very well to do family as well. It doesn't mean that he didn't work hard or did that. And technically, selling Nike shoes were a side job. Really interesting book, but it kind of, I guess, in my mind, from people telling this poor guy who's barely well, yeah, <laughs> he was going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. Phil Jobs, I find absolutely fascinating the book. He was a different guy, but a lot of humanity in there. Wait, Phil Steve, or Job? Steve Jobs? Yeah, it's Phil Jobs. Yeah.
1: That's Steve's brother. Yeah.
2: Exactly. <laughs> Adopted. twice removed <laughs> movies. I have two young kids, so I watch a lot of cartoons. Disney, yeah, yeah. Pixar, but we're sort of going back. You know what I did watch not too long ago, I was listening to this podcast Origins about almost famous and it's the 20 year anniversary. I don't know if speakers uh, watch this movie, but it's about a rock and roll band and kind of their rise to fame and what goes in and Cameron Crowe film. And so they, it became big kind of cult movie musicians loved it. It kind of represented what really goes on behind the scenes. And so I was just kind of fell upon this podcast and listen to it and went back and watched the movie and it's good. Love that movie. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And then activities, just being with family Yeah. A lot of that. Like 24-7. 24-7. You know what we did not too long ago? And this might put perspective and kind of make you grateful for what you have and how good we have it even if we don't is. My wife, every year we go to Saskatchewan, we have a family cabin out there. We visit relatives and see the old farm. My dad grew up and all these things. And she kind of wanted to have that with our kids too. And her mom's from the Bow Island region by Medicine Hat. So they, her brother and sister and her mom, they all decided to go back and see where her mom grew up and find this farm. And so give a little background. Her mom is one of seven kids. Dad was a farmer, just probably just outside of Bow Island. And we drove down there. And this farm has been abandoned. It's just a farmhouse. It's kind of falling apart. But if it's more than 600 square feet, I'd be shocked. So imagine a family of 10 living in a house that Really had two bedrooms, small kitchen, like you walk in there and you're just like, wow. I'm actually shocked that you can create
1: a family of 10 in 600 square feet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A lot of bushes uh, (laughs) back. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it was
1: good though, seeing the...
2: I thought it was good. We didn't know how the kids would react. You kind of just go to this farm, but they were running around it's it's just when you drive down the highway and you see those old buildings that are abandoned that's pretty much what it is but now yeah. you kind of have that you know there was a whole family who grew up here who lived here who farmed that land has a story yeah and my 1200 square foot 1950s bungalow that was feeling very claustrophobic being home for 5 months and kids yeah. suddenly feels like a bit of a mansion so kind of being grateful what you have and getting a little bit of history so yeah that's good. What about yourself?
1: Well, I'll only tell you one thing because I know we got to wrap it up, but I did take my daughter and wife to a drive in movie theater just yesterday called uh, Big Art Drive In. It's at the Telespark Center, and we watched Shrek. It was awesome. I'd highly recommend it to anybody with free time in the evening. I know it's open six days a week, and they've got some great shows that they show, and they do a great job of it. So
2: your brothers helped put that together, didn't he?
1: Well, my brother may have been the founder of this venture, but regardless, it's just a good venue.
2: You mentioned that before, and I think we're going to try to head out to that. I know the kids will will love that. and My love of cleaning popcorn out of the car the day after (laughs) is just sealed the deal. There you go. All right, well, listen, well, thanks for
1: joining us today on The Free Lunch. Blair, thanks for being on the episode and taking us through plans versus planning. Well, thanks for having me. Well, and we'll have you back
0: another time. Perfect. Thanks, Colin. Okay. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast.